Driving while awesome podcast radio hour. <laughs> oh God. Yo. Do you guys know what a fluffer is? GTO. Mellow grinds. Oh, I got a PT Cruiser. It's a convertible. It's really cool. All oh, this smells of crayons for you. <laughs> hey, YOLO. You only have one life. Do you have coilovers? No, beat it. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I threw it up. <laughs> Welcome to Driving While Awesome. My name is Warren. My name is Lane. Uh, I'm Art. And I'm Peter. Peter is joining us once again. Um, you, why don't you pronounce your last name for me? Hobbit. <laughs> Hobbit. I was going to say that, but uh, it's better coming from the source. Uh Peter is here. He was here on the Thursday edition, and he has joined us once again to dive a little bit deeper into the world of Formula One. Um, and his history. Absolutely. Yes. Um, how you became world champion of Formula One. And, uh, oh, different. That's a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's definitely not as tall as I am, that's for sure. Oh, that's right. true. How you, tall are you? 6'4". Yeah, not yeah. a lot of fun drivers. Yeah, uh, you started karting when you were 10, and then you realized this is not going to work out. Well, puberty hit, and then <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, and then the other drivers didn't have to carry any ballast, and that was the end of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 F1 yeah. drivers are getting a little taller now, though, huh? Like Albon? Gosh, you know who is crazy tall? Uh, Ocon. Oh, really? Six, six, two and a half, six, three. Oh, yeah. And he's fine. Like, you can see him, you know, if he's facing you head on. (laughs) But if you turn sideways, that dude disappears. Yeah, he's that little. He's a reed. Oh, yeah. wow. So the weight so helps cool. there, right? I mean, that's so he's tall, but he's not. It's, it's not upper body weight. It's really like they really want a low CG, oh, and yeah. they don't want the drivers sitting too high in the car to uh, mess with the airflow over the car. So mm. that's those are two big things. It's center of gravity, obviously weight, but it's the airflow. Yeah. Huh. So they, yeah, long legs are fine. Just short torsos is what they want. Is that? Ide- yeah, ideally, <laughs> you know. You tuck Huge them calves and no like no chest. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Small feet too to get in that pedal box. Uh well, thanks for joining us, Peter. Um this is a Sunday edition, so uh we kind of talked about current state of affairs in Formula 1 a little bit on Thursday, but um maybe we can get into a little bit more of what got you into this? What yeah, how you ended up at this uh this level thanks um it's uh it's weird to hear that but i i guess i i started off with just an interest it was a passing interest um in racing that got more pronounced actually when my mom got into racing my mom uh was um suzy wolf right my mom yeah suzy wolf Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) it was like my niece (laughs) uh but uh my mom was really into uh Porsche, uh, my dad, uh, still has, uh, an old 356B. And, uh, after I went away to college, they ended up getting a, uh, 928S, which is very cool, an 83. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, which if I could have driven that in high school, I could have been somebody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> black manual. Uh, sweet. Dog leg, the whole, that's nice. the car. That's actually the car I learned how to drive stick in. Very cool. I, that's I awesome. How I managed that, but. Yeah, they're uh, tough. Yeah. Yeah. Big old, huge st- shifter. Low, yeah, yeah, it's a man's low. car. Tons of torque, and that that thing they took to the track after I went away uh, to college out of Bridgehampton, the old Can Am track, uh-huh. um, which is no longer, but it's a great track, half mile straight, just wide open all the way down. Um, and then I was kind of shocked. Then they got a real jump up, and they uh, they got a nine thirty, so they got an eighty, they got an eighty seven white. 
white 930. They still have it? Uh, well, that car met an unfortunate end. Uh, they had a full roll cage, adjustable boost, uh, five point harness in that car. And my dad was, uh, driving it and he was coming around three or four at Bridgehampton and the right front suspension broke. So he's taking taking a left. And the right front suspension broke, and the car rolled. It's all sand around wow. that track, or was. And um, and then he rolled the car. Oh. So that was kind of the end of the car, yeah. yeah. He was all right? He was fine. Yeah, he wow. walked away. But, yeah, it was just it was kind of the end of that car. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I got to drive the car um, when I came back uh, between, between years in college. And, um, and it was all just PCA. Um, some... Yeah, there was, you know, like an F40 out there. Uh, um, you know, there was a, a, a few awesome, uh, God, what do they have? There was a GTO out there. There were a hmm. few serious cars out there as well, but this was in, this was in the late nineties. Okay. And, um, oh, sorry, mid nineties, right before, right before it closed, um, and turned into a golf course. Uh, sad. Yeah. Could have been um, both, just a golf course in the infield, you know. Well, it was a lot of sand, a lot of bunker. Bunkers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the funny thing is there was this huge, like, pushback on Bridgehampton, I think, at the time because they felt it wasn't environmentally friendly. And Long Island is all, um, it's based, all the water comes from aquifers. Uh-huh. So anything you put in the ground, you know, turns into problems later on for mm-hmm. drinking water. Um, so the argument was, you know, oh, this is all this fuel and fluid and oil and whatever. So they built a golf course there, which is in fact way more toxic for the groundwater. I was going to say, yeah. And I mean, Long Island's known for its environmental uh, <laughs> reputation, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had to start somewhere. Cleanliness. <laughs> yeah. Is that where you're from, Long Island? I grew up in Port Jeff, yeah. Okay. So that's uh, Dan Gurney's hometown. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that till later on. So really? Kind of a weird, yeah, that was <laughs> a weird, weird connection. I actually asked him about it and I said, yeah, you, you remember Port Jeff? And he kind of looked at me and he was like, whoa. Poor Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah, he was like, he's, I don't think anybody had asked him about that in a long time. Yeah, it's a small little it, town. It is a tiny town on the North Shore. And, uh, so he's known as a California guy, but, oh, um, his, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. His roots, you know, I think his, his dad or mom was an opera singer. So like a huh. lot of history in New York hmm. with his parents. And then that's where he was born. And then he moved to California pretty young. Interesting. Um, so anyway, that was sort of like Genesis. I went to engineering school, uh, studied a little bit of mechanical engineering, um, and had that sort of seed of racing planted in my mind. Sure. And kind of looked at all of the different sort of aspects of racing. And I get it, go fast, learn how to drive the car, um, you know, brake late, all the different sort of basics. I kind of understood. I didn't do a ton of it, but I kind of understood it. And I really was curious to know, what makes one car faster than the other? And so I took this kind of curiosity combined with a little bit of an engineering background to understand that actually, if you look at all of the series that are out there, IndyCar is a bit of a spec series. There's not a ton of, of development happening there um, with the car compared to Formula One. So that, I think, combined with sort of the more international appeal or the international existence of formula one i thought was was kind of interesting like you could study these cars you could learn how they work and then you could see all of the different you know ways that that um you know engineers kind of solve different problems and in one particular engineering class 
I took in college, we had to build a, a device that basically like crossed the floor and then pushed a button. We were given kind of similar sets of ingredients to put together. I think it was based on Legos. And so we were divvied up in about 10 teams. We all showed up on race day. And the thing that, you know, just left such an impression on me was that here you had 10 different groups of people, probably four people to a team. And you would learn so much. I mean, we didn't win. We didn't even come in like the top 10. I, Did it make five. it? Did it press the button? It made it across the floor, but it didn't like it didn't, press the button. It didn't do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm vaguely remembering. I did a similar thing where yeah. we had to go across a wire okay. in college and had to do something. But yeah, well, I think ours failed too. But the so. thing maybe you can relate to this is that, you know, just the idea that you show up and you see everyone's solution to the yeah. same problem. And they're all totally different. Well, yeah. And like some are like a little better, a little worse. And I thought, man, this is just, this is awesome. Like that was the best fun I'd had, you know, because mm. I, I wasn't even expecting this added benefit. Um, so I think that kind of experience combined with this sort of interest in cars and I think an introduction probably at a relatively young age. I don't, yeah. don't have any family in racing. I don't have anybody. But your parents were yeah, competitive, like trying to have fun in cars. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. They took that seriously. Yeah. Right. That's very um, cool. And yeah, it was. It, I mean, they, they still follow Formula One now. Oh, and nice. They still enjoy it. Um, so that's great, man. You're into F1. You know, you're working, living here in San Francisco, like you're seven feet tall. Who, who are, <laughs> yeah, who are you, buddy? You know, so I thought, well, you know, like I, I have no idea how to work in Formula One, but you know, I, I, what I can do is I can, you know, get a group of people together who are like-minded and into the sport and start, you know, a group of, of, um, watch parties that, you know, are centered around the race calendar. And that was, easily the fastest way that I could think of to meet other people who were into the same thing and then met many people who, um, you know, obviously shared the same passion, but some people had worked in racing, had done, you know, spent time, you know, wrenching on cars and driving them. And then I think it was about 2007, we were in our second or third season of doing these watch parties in San Francisco. And I got an email on our feedback page said, Hey, I'm in town with my folks is this where the race is going to be? I'm like, yes, no problem. He says, my name is Paul. You know, I work with uh, BAR Honda. Da, 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 da. I'm a control systems engineer. I was like, all right, whatever, buddy. Like, <laughs> we'll see. And sure enough, Paul shows up and there he is. I mean, he's the race control engineer for Jensen Button's car. And wow. He's on vacation for the Brazilian Grand Prix, which then was the last race of the year with his girlfriend and his mom and dad. They were just on holiday in San Francisco. So they weren't at the race? They were They were sitting in the bar with us watching the race. So oh, he, why is that? He'd taken that, he'd gotten that race off. Oh, I see, It I was see. the last race of the Got season. It. So he, the team was there, but he was just having to Correct, run. yeah, yeah. And so I think Button came in second or podium, I think, in that race. And, um, Dang. you know, you get a, a bunch of people in San Francisco, engineers who were all there. And I just said, everybody, guess who we have here? You know, this is... This is Paul Pesak. He's the control systems engineer for Jensen, Jensen Button's car. And at that time, you know, Formula One is just a black box. I mean, like, no one, like, where's the sides? Where's the edge? Like, how you open it? Like, you know, everything was all like just super behind the curtains, you know, for, as far as coverage in this country and what little you could read or understand was generally, you know, fairly watered down. But, um, to have someone in the flesh, you know, from an F1 team there was awesome. And I just, 
I was like, wow, you know, just to have created that experience for myself. Yeah, right. You know, to have that was, you mm. know, one of those milestones along the way. Yeah. Um, it turned into an opportunity to, to work with the San Jose Grand Prix from 2005 to 2007, mainly coordinating a lot of volunteers and then working with the race organization to kind of shepherd fans to and from the race, which I thought was relevant to my interests. Um, uh, and then from there, started a blog, started writing about the sport, and then um, started going as accredited media um, to the sport in 2013. So I stopped you there yeah. for a second. So. So we're automotive journalists of some effect, to some effect, right? We're, yeah. we're media. How do you become an FIA accredited, like, uh, a journalist to cover F1? What's so that process? It's on the FIA's website. Um, they need regular coverage of the sport. Um, they need to see that you're an F1 focused, mm. um, in, in some, to some degree in your sport. Um, and, um, I think, you know, being an American actually helped me in, in a lot of ways. Um, I bet. because, because I a lot of people from England, right? Doing it or, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Not and, a lot of guys from San Francisco. And at that time, you know, social media was, you know, five, six years old, you know, in 2013. And so getting, you know, you know, building a following, um, and, um, and having some exposure to, um, to the sport, uh, I guess it emboldened me. Um, I'm mm. kind of missing a step, I think around 2009, 2009, I was approached by a colleague in a journalist kind of guild to meet some people who were interested in starting an F1 team. That's when I met Ken Anderson and Peter Windsor. They were starting USF1, if you remember. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they came through the Bay Area and pitched um, to a lot of VCs and folks who were interested in possibly getting behind that, which I was you know, privileged enough to sit at some of those meetings and kind of represent American fan interests. So really the relevance of the team in America an American F1 team. Um, and then, uh, at that point I could say that my biggest claim to fame at that, I think at that time was that I'd met my friend Lee Williams down at a formula Ford race down in Buttonwillow. And he had a gearbox company, um, building gearboxes up for race cars. And I was able to forward his resume to Ken and Peter, and they actually hired him to design the gearbox for the first car. Oh, that's cool. He moved his whole life out of San Diego to Charlotte. He's still in Charlotte now. Wow. And moved his whole company there, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I was like, man, I I just got this guy hired in F1. Yeah. And he, he already had F1 experience, so yeah. hardly off the back of my efforts. But <laughs> uh -huh. I just, you know, I put someone... You it's know, like seeing the pieces come together. Like it's, yeah, it's it was possible. Very, yeah. I think that was just it. Yeah. Right. It was like, wow, this is possible. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's, but it's, it's never like a big jump, you know, at once. Sure. And, um, uh, I, I don't consider myself like to work in F1, although I've had people tell me now you work in F1. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. But so my, my, my thinking is like, I'm, I'm very much an experienced guy. So I, I enjoy, I enjoy creating the watch parties for people. I enjoy people coming together and connecting in a way that around something that I'm passionate about, we're passionate about that, you know, that just didn't exist before. So to me, I think it's about the fan experience, like yeah, through and through. Uh, that's kind of what I've always kind of gone back to. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the the opportunities that I was able to create later on, some came from the group meeting uh, my friend Malcolm, who used to be the curator for VJ Malia's car collection up in Sausalito. I don't know if you guys ever got uh-uh. a chance to see that. No. He had about $50 million in cars like tucked in this nondescript warehouse. Up had? Yeah. Not yeah. anymore? No. I think VJ took everything back. Um, oh. Yeah. Before they took his passport, they took everything. Oh, he took all the cars back to England. Interesting. Um, Locally, huh? I had no idea. Yeah. What yeah. year was that collection around? That A long time. Uh, that was around the early, maybe late 90s. Oh, so okay. like 2013, maybe oh. 14. Huh. Is he still stuck in England? <laughs> he's got to... no passport, but yeah, yeah, he's there in England. Yeah. Yeah. And did a lot to raise money for Make-A-Wish. Hmm. Um, you know, like not a lot really told about his experience you know, in the community. But anyway, um, through, through, uh, Malcolm, who was the curator of his, of his collection, I was introduced to the force India team, which BJ at that time owned. Um, and, uh, so it was when I, it's just as I was getting accredited, I had a, I had a sort of a, a person that I could, a familiar face, you know, that I could say hi to. Um, and then, really jumping in the media center, just meeting all the people whose work I'd read and admired. So, um, I think at that time I was maybe a little bit of a curiosity, like, wow, you're, here's this American guy. Like, Hey, we're in America. Like what's going on? What are you doing? I write about this sport, you know, and so do I. And so, um, you know, I was fast friends with guys like Chris and, and Lawrence Edmondson and Kate Walker and Ian Parks. And I mean, people whose bylines are now in the New York times and, all over. Um, and you know, they were doing great work, you know, then and still do now. So, um, I think just having like a, a, an ability to network, to introduce myself to, um, you know, not try and make too much of each opportunity, but just take enough from it to build to the next like step. Hmm. Um, and then that, I guess fast forwarding to, you know, this year, uh, where Art and I met was at the Sonoma Speed Festival, and it was through uh, uh, a colleague that I was introduced to uh, Mercedes Heritage, who are part or separate uh, of, but a part of the, the Grand Prix uh, team, and um, they were interested in coming to Sonoma. So they thought they might be coming to Sonoma, and that they would need someone who could, who knew Formula One, who understood what was. Um, what their constraints are and how to work with them as well as under represent, you know, the interests of the Sonoma speed festival as well as the fans. So here was an opportunity at the Sonoma speed festival, which to, to my memory is the only time a formula one car turbo hybrid modern era car is run in public demonstration in this country mm. and outside of Europe. Maybe, I mean, I, I, I can't get anybody to quantify that. For sure. What but, are the cars that run the, the Ferrari days at Laguna or those? That's, they're older. They're the V10 stuff. Yeah, yeah. V8s, yeah, V10s. Even the cars that are down in LA, um, oh, last yeah. month, those were V8s that are liveried to look like, uh, cars. like the new cars. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they had that ugly step nose. Some of them. Yeah. 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 So they, but that, that was super cool though. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really fun to just see. Just seeing it static in, the, yeah. in that uh, garage. And just the whole so operation, cool. how they function oh, yeah. and like all the, all the different kind of parameters involved and like even something as simple as starting the thing, like, you know, something to see that up close. Adding is cool. So cool. Um, again, you know, 
not to beat a dead horse, yeah, the sound thing, whatever, but there's so much more that goes into it. And of course, seeing the sheer speed, I mean, like, like I think we've all, you know, we, we, we've tracked there, you know, we've been at Sonoma a lot. We've seen a lot of race cars go through there and you know, you know, a really fast car, what that looks like through like the S's, like watching the form, like a, a recent Formula One car go through there is like almost comical, you know, it's, yeah. it's so fast. I mean, it was like, I, I had watched the nine, is it the 919? Is that that Porsche? That was down to Laguna, you know, that they had like yeah. let oh, the engineers the go crazy on that thing was like the craziest thing I had ever seen go around Laguna Seca. And watching the F1 is like equal to that, basically, you know, watching it go around Sonoma, um, even though it would probably be, I'm sure it would be faster than, than the, the 919 was obviously. Um, but just watching that, you can't even like taking photos of it unless you're shooting like 20 frames a second. You, you, you can't keep up with that thing. It's so crazy. That's a fast pan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that thing was really moving. Yeah. And I have to say, um, you know, just to kind of on the experience front, you know, just everything that I had done, I really felt like was really building up to that experience at Sonoma, you know, really handling all the logistics for the team and then kind of managing or stage managing really the team's interaction with the fans mm -hmm. and, um, you know, addressing the team's needs as well as the needs of the fans. Um, you know, it's absolutely the kind of experience that I, I see benefiting Formula One incredibly. Like, and, really. yeah, and the Bay Area, right? I mean, that's such a cool thing to see. It's such a, it's great. It is. And I think, you know, people who knew what it was that was coming were there for sure this year. Yeah. Um, as an incentive, you mean as a draw? Yeah. But then like, yeah, like to know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think then. Next natural question is obviously Sonoma Speed Festival is going to happen this coming year again. We're going to be there. We're going to have a presence there again. Great. Um, any Formula One stuff <laughs> happening? Things are brewing, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, nothing. Nothing is. Um, nothing's finalized. I talked to Ryan sure. last weekend, and yeah, so you, you know, yeah, you yeah. have some insight now. No. <laughs> as far as I you know, nothing's like nothing's solid yet. But uh, yeah. I can tell you, the team had an amazing time. Like. They were, you know, Matt Dean and everybody there were um, just super to work with. And, uh, you know, they put my nephews in Lewis's car. Oh, that cool. was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, just so... I mean, it was an amazing event. Was, when does that happen? I mean, that's like... I, was I don't care say, if you're JK in the back of the front yeah, yeah. garage at Monza. Like, <laughs> nobody, like, gets that close at a Grand Prix. Yeah. You know? yeah. And these people were all over that car. Yeah, it was cool. And the engineers loved it. They loved to interact with the fans. And they had some uh, nice hardware sitting next to it. Yeah. A silver did. Aero yeah. car. Was Those were stunning. amazing. I mean, that's that alone, you know, is a, is a crowd pleaser. And then you have the F1 car. It's, yeah, great event. So hopefully we will get some more info out of Lane here, but hopefully there'll be more <laughs> F1, uh, F1 goodness coming back to Sonoma. That'd be yeah, great. I think, I think that would be a real, a real win for, for everybody. Yeah. And the, I think the event will have twice the, you know, attendance this year since it was like, it kind of knocked, they knocked it out of the park with the first show. I, and, you know, people didn't really know about it. And now that, now that it's been talked about, it was, I mean, I think it, you know, I would say it's the, I don't know. It's like the, the best, it's the best, um, historic 
event that I've been to, you know, as far as a historic racing that I've been to, I think it's way better than the Laguna Seca events and stuff like that. So. Yeah. And that's, and that's going to all of those for many years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think the strategy was really interesting, you know, I mean, at least because I was asking a lot of the guys, you know, internally there at the organization, like what kind of the goal was and everything. And just kind of the marketing approach, it seemed like really it was like, at least for this event was like, put it on, make it a great event invite the media and then leverage that coverage and that exposure to, to, to get, bring people next time around. So it wasn't like yeah. super like key to get the huge crowds this time around. It was like, let's, let's show that we can do this and like make it a really fun thing. And then, and then from that, you know, next year people will know. Right. Yeah. And, and Mark Sutton came out, shot the whole, the whole event and, you know, he covers every single F1 racer. There is. A, is that Keith? Is he related that's to Keith's younger Sutton? brother? Yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah so I've read about Keith Sutton because uh, he was an early photographer for uh, a lot of F1 drivers and eventually became the photographer for Senna, right? Like a personal photographer. For yeah. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, yeah, I was that's thinking cool. back on events with the F1 group. We did do uh, a premiere for the Bay Area with Asif for the Senna movie. Uh, in oh, 20, right, right. 2012, 2011, 2011. So what was that? So you were involved with the promotion of that, right? In, I did, yeah, I did get involved with that. They, um, the the sort of distribution of that film was really slated right right for DVD. Um, it was not supposed to hit the big picture or the big screen. And um, the folks at Electric Artists at that time Thought thought it had a potential to uh, to hit the screen, so it premiered at Sundance, and then um, they they worked worked on a distribution deal. Um, I worked with Electric Artists. They had someone who was um, very committed to the film, but very uh, new to Formula One. And what I was able to do was kind of work with them to explain groups like ours where pockets of Formula One fans are in the country. And we did, we worked on sort of timing of release of the film in markets around events that were coinciding with like, I think at that time it was, might've been the historics. No, it was probably the Rolex, the reunion. And um, so they wanted to do a release after or during the reunion. I'm like, no, you don't do it during the reunion. You premiere the movie before the reunion and then everyone talks about it at the reunion. Yeah. So just like little key things like that where you kind of, you know, you have a feel for what, you know, where, how the word is going to be spread about something like that. And so we were able to really help the numbers of that film, you know, do well and give it a long, a longer tail basically than it normally would have had. Hmm. And until the drive to survive series that Netflix did, that was really a real reference point for, People explain to them what I did or, you know, how I, you know, why I was passionate about it. was great. One. I saw it in the theater. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And Asif was amazing. He stayed for, I mean, we didn't leave there until one thirty in the morning. I mean, he just signed posters and, oh, cool. and talked to people. Like, did you guys do like an official Q&A? Or it was just oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's up on YouTube. You can see the Q&A. Uh, my buddy Raul shot it in his phone and um yeah it's it's very interesting and there's a lot of decisions that were made about you know how that movie was put together but the story holds up and you know those central characters you know legendary um but <laughs> the embarcadero theater I, I don't think they'd ever seen a sold out theater on a thursday night at like 8 30 at night i think they were just like what <laughs> is going on yeah yeah and that was again that was our our community of formula one fans you know, mm -hmm. we were able to really you know, probably one of the biggest Facebook events 
I've ever seen RSVP to that we've ever done, you know, and people mm-hmm. just came out in droves to, yeah. to see that. So it was, I would like to see more of that kind of quality and level of like, cause it was so, um, like I just, all the archival stuff and like, it's just, it, it was so well done. It was I all mean, archival. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. There was no talking heads. Yeah. It's yeah. like the only, I mean, and no, no B roll. Try and think of a documentary where like, there's no talking heads to like bridge well, the storyline. I mean, there was, no. yeah, I mean, you had, uh, which version did you see? Cause there's two versions. There's a short and a long version. I don't and, know, but and they have, they have, um, uh, the guy from CNN, the Italian last name. Bisignano, yeah. Uh, Bisignano, like, does a lot of talking. And then they have, huh. uh, Ron Dennis does, does quite a bit of talking. Uh, and there's a, I mean, but it's really good though. But that's like new, it's new footage? No. Oh yeah. Well, it's just him, like, like, they're just hmm. static, kind of like in a room, like. No, I know, and I know, yeah. but recorded for the film. But recorded for the film, yeah. yeah. But yeah, there are two versions. I seem to that. remember it yeah. with like none. Yeah. And that's what uh, I found. But it, it is, it is, a, I, I, we've talked about it a million times, but I am actually both a big Senna and Prost fan. I think that oh, yeah. it was, it was, it was definitely a little biased towards Senna and they made Prost a, a, an antagonist, but it was a Senna film. So, you know, there's all that, but, but it was, a, I mean, such a great, such a well done movie. I mean, it was incredible. I would love to see more of that. Like Rush was cool, but it was like very Hollywood, you know, like, very, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, like completely Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I would just, yeah. I would, I would like to see more documentaries documentary style stuff. I mean, yeah. like a weekend of a champion back like with Polanski was really, really good. Um, you know, with, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, uh, the, the, the documentary about, um, Jackie Stewart. Uh, yeah. th- that's yeah. really, really good. It's some, not, I mean, not in the same vein, I should say, but it's just documentary style walking around very gritty, like hanging out ca- in Monte Carlo yeah, and camera on the shoulder, following him around for a weekend, literally like, yeah. I love to see that type of stuff. That's really personal, you know, like in, Really getting a sense of what it was like, you know. I think the Netflix guys are doing a good job. They're deeply embedded. No, it's sports. it's phenomenal. Yeah, that's they, really really good. Yeah, we're it's we're, like one of. I mean, it's some of the best filmmaking I've seen, as far as, far as documentaries go. I mean, yeah, like it's really really good. make that's it's so compelling, you know, and to watch that whole series, it it's really masterfully done. I think. Um, yeah, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. But then there's the, there's the Williams documentary, which is pretty good. That was pretty good. And then there was also the, um, I don't know if you guys saw, I don't know if it was an Amazon thing, the one on uh, McLaren. Oh, it was like yeah. hard to watch. It was just like, ah, cause it was all about, you know, it was like the, basically the downfall of McLaren <laughs> yeah. and Honda and how they, you know, oh, would go right. and the engine just, they, they had this big old start party <laughs> and they got started and won't start. And then it's like, oh, they went on to test and they only tested for this many laps, you know, and the other teams are, you know, in the 300s and they were at like 40 laps or something, you know, it's like, that was a really hard one to watch. And you're like, wow, I can't believe McLaren, like, yeah, gave, like wrote this off. You so know? you, what you had mentioned something about, um, I remember this was a few years ago when you talked, when you saw it and you were telling yeah. me about it or us, I guess on the show and you were saying how. You couldn't believe that uh, um, an they, outfit of that caliber yeah, was. But they like, signed off on that. Yeah, it was like it was Honda. so so crazy, right? Well, Honda and, or McLaren. Yeah, they both looked. They kind of looked like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, idiots. You but know? it's Just, like also the fact that it's kind of like reading Adrian Newey's book. You know, like it was so amazing to see. Like this is arguably the best aerodynamicist of like our of the modern era, right? Or I guess of all eras because it's it is it's pretty recent, right? Mm-hmm. Technology. And just watching all, like, just reading about all the failures. And it's like, some of it is super trivial stuff, you know? And this is like literally one of the smartest people on the planet. And it's like, oh, it was actually 
the wind tunnel that was flawed, but they did not know that. So they kept trying to fix the freaking car, but it was not the car that was the issue. It was the rollers on the freaking, you know, something, something so trivial or like it could be, they're trying to figure out this whole new thing about diverting airflow over an exhaust. Right. And it's like, it's all trial and error. And they thought they had it right. And the numbers made sense. But then when they go put it in practice, it turns, it doesn't, it turns out it doesn't work, you know? And so someone, and it's just so cool to see like someone like that, who's like, very, very successful. One of the most brilliant minds in that field. And he's showing you like the process that he goes through, you know, it's like, it's really cool. Uh, but yeah, that reminded me of that too. It's like McLaren, these guys, these are, you have some of the most brilliant minds and they're still yeah, making yeah. all these mistakes and failing. It's like, how is that possible? It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I understand failure. Like everyone's going to fail. Like, like, and even the best formula one car, right? You know, Mercedes has like, parts that aren't as good as other cars and are, you know, they could wake up tomorrow and be like, holy shit, we're doing it totally wrong. But, um, that McLaren one was like, uh, it was kind of like from a perception standpoint, it was just the brand perception and all that stuff. It came across in a really like, uh, kind of a, like, uh, just not knowing what they're doing kind of way. Mm. I wouldn't got never give up on Zach Brown though. That is yeah. something that, well, during that is when he, he like first came on, right? Like, yeah, that was that whole thing, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, and it's absolutely, you know, it's it's the right, it's the right venue for that kind of story. Uh huh. You know, unfortunately, you can't always control, you know, what the story is going to be because they're documenting it as, yeah. as it's happening. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and you you write off on all that before all this stuff happens. You're like, okay, let's do this, and that was supposed to be their comeback, right? It was like it was supposed to be we're gonna. And then it, yeah, I remember, uh, so there was this, this piece. I don't know if it was actually marketed here in the U S or circulated here very well, but I think it was 2013, 2014. They had this thing that they did at Fuji circuit in Japan. Did you see it where it was like, it was so fucking cool. Like I I was hanging out with, at the time I used to work for GoPro and I managed all like distribution for Asia. And I was sitting with our Japanese distributor and, uh, and, uh, I had just seen it and I'm like, you have to see this. Like we were, it was right before a meeting. I'm like, and he, he, he teared up like, and it was, it was basically, um, all of these speakers all across Fuji circuit at night and they had lights attached to every single speaker and they played the sound of Senna's qualifying lap in 1988 and, uh, it was maybe 88 or 89. And, um, and so it's the sound of the car and the lights represent where the car would be. And they took all the telemetry from the ECU. And so you could see the throttle position and like the braking and everything. And so they were able to replicate what the car sounded like at every single place on the track. across the entire track and it was at night so you can hear it all over the track and you could see the light of where he would be you know and it was so fucking cool man and and that was like basically mclaren honda were coming back you know yeah (laughs) and it was like this big build up. oh man and then they like yeah big old flop yeah i mean they're doing they're doing mclaren's doing well now yeah you know it's like cool to see they kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and um they have Two awesome drivers, and yeah, it's cool. It's one thing about just not about McLaren and Honda in particular, but just in <clears throat> Formula One in general. You know, the the customer teams cannot change a spark plug on those engines. Yeah, like those engines when they come out of the car, they go in a separate room mm-hmm. with those engineers that are from that manufacturer. Yeah, so it's it's very separate, and yeah. so you know when when you do get into issues, I think you know. 
people think of the team as like really working together. Yeah. And I'm sure Han and McLaren, you know, try their best, but, um, just to give people an idea that some, somehow sort of separate church and state, the engine is from, yeah. from the car. And, you know, I always find it amazing, like how Honda is so involved, like more than anyone else. It feels like, like, when um Verstappen won that race this year with the Honda, you know Honda, and it was just like they were so elated. It was just like it, it was such a big deal, you know. And and um I don't see that with other. You don't see that with like I don't know. I don't feel like I see that with like Renault or these other manufacturers, you know, other engine companies. Um, I mean, I guess most of them win more, you know, have won more in the last ten years or whatever. So. Mercedes sport entirely in 2008. Yeah. And then essentially developing the double diffuser that Braun then took to win the title as a nobody team. Yeah. Never heard of before, you know, like just right out of the gate, won that and then, you know, pulling out again and then, you know, and then coming back in. Yeah. That's a long, I mean, there's a lot of the same people, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, Braun F1 was the Honda car, right? I mean, it was a Honda power plant and everything, right? You it was the BAR, it. right? Buy it for a dollar or something. That's like the, that's yeah, the a, lot of, a lot of risk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they worked out the, the, the logistics of how to, how to purchase the team. But, uh, gosh, that, I mean, talk about the essence of teamness, you know, really mm. <laughs> sticking yeah. by when all else is, seems like it's just absolutely, um, falling apart. And to hear said, Nick Fry and, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, Nick Fry and Ross Braun talk about that experience. All the people who they dealt with who possibly wanted to buy the team and before they realized they might give it a go themselves. And yeah, that's just, I mean, there's hundreds of jobs, you know, that are, yeah, have to stick around mm-hmm. to, to pull that off and to, to do it. And then to be hunted to watch them do that with a Mercedes engine on the sideline and just be like, Oh my gosh, like, could have been a contender, you know, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's a lot of emotion. I would think huge mm-hmm. amount of emotion to yeah. get that first win again. Just yeah. Huge. Mm-hmm. Have you had, um, conversations with, uh, any of the team principals like Zach Brown or anything like that? I mean, I've, I've interviewed Zach briefly, um, just like in a pool. Um, I, I interviewed, uh, Omar, um, a few times and he's, he's a really interesting guy. Uh, you know, Midwest guy, um, you know, uh, Detroit, you know, and then a hardcore racer and, uh, and then, you know, evolving over to, to F1. Um, he's, he's a real, and uh, you know, it's great to hear an American just cruising around the paddock and someone like him, you know, it's funny to hear him like, like on the, like when, um, what's his name? Uh, damn it. Well, not will. Um, who's the younger guy. He always has wristbands, walks around in the paddock. He's like the paddock Buxton? guy. Right? Buxton. Is it Will Buxton? Is yeah. It will? Yeah, yeah. So will, um, like just like when he walks up to him, he's always ready. He's always down to talk, but it's, as you said, yeah, it's, it's cool to hear an, an American accent. Yeah. Like it's like, it's like, well, really? All right. We're part of this. Yeah, it's, for sure. Yeah. He, he was funny. I had a great conversation with him a couple of years ago. He, we were talking about, man, it's so hard to be a Formula One fan in America. He's like, you know, you're up, you know, you're out on a Saturday night, you know, and if you have a life, you know, you go out, you go out drinking. It's like, then you stay up, you wake up at, you know, four in the morning and watch the race in Europe. And, you know, it's like, that's the way it is. He's like, that, that's how it's always been. He's like, now it's like, 
you know, if you sleep and then you don't watch the race till later, it's like you're laying in bed, you feel something on your face, you open your eyes, your cat's there, and your cat says, Lewis won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that. That is the, time. the thing. It's like, <laughs> keep it, stop. Yeah, because we do, you we, can't get away from it. We do, that, we, do the, we do the F1 TV Pro stuff, which is great. You know, that's so you can watch it after the fact, but no matter what, like, <laughs> like I'll try, like, I, I actually just found out randomly, I don't know who told me because I was complaining about this, that you can mute specific channels. And I'm like, okay, I'll mute like the Formula One, um, Instagram accounts. feed or something. Doesn't matter because someone is going to yeah. say, or there'll right. be a sponsored feed that yeah, you don't yeah. even follow. <laughs> like, we, what? we had a funny one. The three of us were in Miami and, uh, I forget which race weekend it was. It was one of the first like three of the year, probably the, whatever. I'm in the first race. Um, but we're walking around and, uh, and we were going to watch the race later that night oh, at, our, right. at our, at our, uh, hotel. And Art like wanted a camera strap for his camera, so we go into this little camera store, and it's on the. T- <laughs> it's, it's it's the middle of the race, but still we like it's it's like in, it's on away, in the store, know, and the guys are watching it, and they're like ah, yeah. he's leading, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it kind of like gets you at the at the most like the places you wouldn't think it would happen to, yeah. Which is interesting, though, right? Because that means that it's there. I mean, it's a, in this country, right? I mean, oh, it's definitely there. It's yeah. definitely not. It's not baseball or American football or whatever NFL, but it's it's definitely there's a following. As the 2019 Formula One season wraps up, the best way to stream every second of the action is with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you easily catch every race. Get set up in under 10 minutes and enjoy HD streams throttle-free. Here's how it works. If you don't have a U.S. cable subscription, ESPN2 is a great way to tune in. Get ExpressVPN and then connect to a server location in the U.S. Visit YouTube TV or PlayStation View and use the free trial. For those in the U.K., you can catch every race on Sky Sports F1. Just get ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, and visit Sky Sports on Now TV. ExpressVPN works on your computer, your phone, router, and consoles like Fire TV, so you can watch all the action from any device. Enjoy all the remaining races this season in HD with the world's most trusted VPN, ExpressVPN. Use our special link today to get three months free at expressvpn.com forward slash awesome. That's expressvpm.com forward slash awesome for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com forward slash awesome to learn more. Thanks. So I'm curious about um, your parents, you know, are into cars and, and all that. What What were you driving on Long Island to start, you know, your... So, car so is it Long history. Island or Long, Long Island? Long Island. Long, Long Island. It's the hard G. Oh, it's oh, the hard Long G. Island. Long Island. It's the Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> so when you go back, does the accent come Long out? Long Island. Long Island. <laughs> I think probably when I yell at someone and just cut me off, maybe the New Yorker comes out. Uh, yeah. You know. What are you doing? Long All day, buddy. What's <laughs> up? <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, what was your first, first car? First car was a '67 powder blue with plaid interior bug. Oh, so, nice! Very nice. Yeah, nice. My grandparents' car. Oh, uh, 
it had. So about, you're getting a lot of chicks. It had about fifty thousand miles on it. Wow. Yeah. So they barely drove it. Sixty-seven but. weird year. That's cool. Yeah. Last yeah. year the small bumpers. And low, low seats. The, yeah. No, no headrests. So, yeah, it was a cool car. It was like pop yours when you drove it. <laughs> um, no, no radio. I don't think it had a radio. And huh. uh, um, then the next next car was a California car. Uh, Nissan hard body pickup. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Um, we have a, a, one of the guys from the podcast would have, uh, cheered. Brian's a hard body enthusiast. Yeah. That was his first car, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So well, going back to the bug real quick, yeah. you're six, four. Totally tons fine. Of, yeah. They're fine. Yeah, tons, of, tons of headroom. Tons yeah. of headroom. Yeah. 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 Bugs are like stuff. mini coopers. They, they are. are. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. can Low like seats. anyone can fit Low in them. And they're, and they're German or a mini comparison, but a bug, it, you know, Germans are historically pretty tall and you can fit. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like a clown car, right? Just keep coming. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then, um, Integra GSR. Oh, sweet. Uh-huh. Used. What year? Bought used 94. Oh yeah. OBD one. And it was, uh, yeah, it was cool. At a, at a, what did I do to that car? Dining chip? That was it. Yeah, I didn't. I kept it pretty stock. What color? Uh, black, black on black cloth. On the whole nice. Thing. I had a black uh, on black. Fun car. Uh, love to rev it. You know, that's what they want. Yeah, it's just awesome. Uh, <clears throat> and then, gosh, I, I hold on to the cars for a while, and then I had that, and then I sold that. Then I got an S two thousand, which is smaller than all of them. Yeah, <laughs> that that's kind of hard to fit. But in. that works for you with the top down, right? Because they have that super high sill, and you sit really low, you right? You sit really low. Yeah, They're pretty narrow too. I sat, they don't have the most legroom though. More than a Miata, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind it. Um, I love the car. Um, you still yeah. have it? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, I still have it. Uh, two thousand five. Sweet. Um, is that a one or AP two? AP two. What color? Uh, uh, Don't say silver. Silverstone ah. with, the, with the red interior. All right, that's great. The red interior. So that's cool. Yeah. Red and black interior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it. I, I mean, that car does everything you ask of it. And um, I sat in one, and I was devastated. That I couldn't. It's not an adjustable column, so mm. you can't see the. the All the uh, tack. The tack. Yeah. yeah. So. <clears throat> Seat lowering kit, JDM, put that in, got another inch out of that. Fine. Barely see it. It's more <laughs> psychological than anything. For sure. Yeah, but um, I just threw an intake on that and love the intake. I think absolutely the way to drive that car is to let people know you're there. It's a really low profile car and people don't see you. Um, so I drive with the headlights on and then when people look out of it, I just downshift on the freeway and bam, like all of a sudden you're there. Like you just have a way more presence. You know, you, you people hear you. you this know, is you like the, the, the Harley, uh, exactly. Yeah, it's pipes. a loud pipe to save lives. I would <laughs> never get an exhaust on that car. That would just, ah, you know, that would be a headache. Yeah, yeah, intake noise is good though. I feel like a lot of Hondas, it's like, it's not about the exhaust. The intake it's is better. Totally is. Yep. I totally is. get yeah do an intake do a loud intake yeah and and then um i think it's just for safety reasons it's like it's just people will know you're there and then you can it's a you can turn it on and off i mean it's just how hard you put your foot into it and what gear you're in yeah where where you shift right yeah yeah it's yeah. absolutely i can hear it right now like it's, it's got <laughs> yep. the, and then it's got the it's like yeah yeah <laughs> great, <laughs> yeah great one yeah, yeah the, those are good been, been fun i've gone through a hard top on that uh 
and that's about it. It needs some work, but it's, it's doing well. So and you live in the city, 40, San Francisco now? 6,000 on it. You live in San Francisco? Yeah, right? it's a so great, that's a great car city car. Park it. Yeah. Yep. If people could see you, it'd be better. Yeah, that's right. That's what the, the downshifting yeah. is for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what the downshifting <laughs> is for. Do you have anything uh, that you've always wanted or maybe uh, on your on your list? Or a car is probably hard to come by for San Francisco living? I think, you know, I'm real big on livability with yeah. cars. And I hear everyone talk about, like, it's the fastest, it's the, you know, it's the fastest off the line it's the whatever you know around the Nürburgring and da, 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 da. it's like I want livability like I want a car that I can live with and and it's just something I don't hear talked a lot about with cars but as a like an, an extreme example probably a 959 something mm. you know I've talked to people who've driven them who work on them Bruce Canepa is right down the road here and um, you know I've talked to the people that work with Bruce and and they're working on them all the time. And they're like, yeah, you could just take this to the grocery store. And, you know, you don't have to worry about scraping the nose. And it's like, it's up to 200 miles an hour. And, and most people da, 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 da. don't know what it is. And Yeah, and it's yeah. exactly. And like it's a you, little bit low profile. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to its contemporaries, it's totally yeah. low profile. Yeah, that is. So we get I this get question a lot. Yeah, like it's like like one car for whatever, you know. And it's like, it's hard to say not to say 959 because it you could do everything, you know. And like. You could do everything from a cars and coffee to a track day to uh, weekend in a, Tahoe. a grand touring trip. Yeah, across the country, you yeah. could take it to Europe and do everything. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I hear that they're extremely expensive to maintain. That's all I know. Of but if you own that car, I don't think <laughs> that's doing, a problem. You're doing right? fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The F1, the McLaren F1, would probably be in that same category. Right. Worse, Those are older cars, Worse, but oh, yeah. for maintenance, I mean, yeah. yeah, cost by far. Yeah. I think was it Richard Chen that just posted that thing, the bill for a. F one from like nineteen ninety three. Oh, I've I've heard of this. It was crazy, dude. It was like yeah. some hundred thousand dollar bill or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, for like a few things. <laughs> if you when I was down at that event with my buddy Lee Williams that Formula Ford race, Jay Leno rolled up in his black McLaren God. before the Jay Leno YouTube phenomenon. Yeah, and, yeah. And people didn't really know what it was, I think, and I just started talking to him. I'm like, so what is it, man? Are you F1? Are you IndyCar? You NASCAR? I was still like all over the map, you know. Oh, you're someone who's into, you know, cars and racing and, you know. Yeah. And he was like, eh, nah, nah, not really into that, nah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like. I was yeah. like, so tell me about your McLaren. He's like, man, it's like, I took it into the dealer the other day. I asked him where he gets it worked on. That's what I did. Because um, I was curious. There's not many around. It's like, he lives in LA. Where do you go? And he's like, oh my God. It's like, yeah, I take it to a dealer. First thing you want to do is throw a fifteen hundred dollar windshield wiper on it. I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Fifteen hundred dollars. Just you start there at the windshield wiper, and then you just. Well, have you seen his uh, the whole car together? For his uh, documentation of his service on that car. He's did engine out. Yeah, yeah, full, just did that last year. Full right? motor out, and um, he's got his mechanic in house working on it and stuff. And I'm sure. You know, they're taking their time and doing it right. But So he's um, in a unique position where he never sells his cars. And yeah. he's got specialists that work in-house. And yeah. it's, it's different from someone who's like, it has to be done by like well, the one tech and for, for sure. value and all he's that. He's also right? got a like very high level of knowledge on all of his cars. Yeah. Um, 
and he's willing to learn all of it and take the time to do it all. But yeah, McLaren will, was there, Bernard. Bernard. Bernard, Bernard yeah. yeah. And they'll, format, I yeah. think they'll, uh, they'll fly a team from McLaren to yeah. your F1 to service it. Yeah, they definitely well, will. Super yeah. cheap. Yeah, they'll do it for yeah. free, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it, everything is so hyper-specialized for that car. Like, we know the only detailer in the U.S. that's allowed to work on that car, you know, and like for detail work. And he does all the cars out of Pennsylvania. Wow. And he's local there. So it's funny. He, the other day he sent me a photo. It was like a picture of a sign on the windshield and it was the car. And I'm like, what are you trying to show me here? And then he, I zoomed in on the sign and it said, do not touch, do not detail. And it's because like no one's allowed to detail that car, right? Like, so it's only, he, he's the only person. So typically, you know, a car comes in for service and it goes through a process. They wash it and all this. And so those are set aside for him because like he's the only guy. Who's His number is like a uh, 45 of 53 made. Yeah, he's or something done almost like that. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just a detail. It's like, well, he does like, he'll the engine out too. And then he'll replace bolts and re cadmium, like have them cadmium plated. He'll like, he'll take parts apart and it's kind of like Bruce Kemp is with the 959. Yeah. He's the guy. Right. right, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's pretty cool. We, uh, we were at, uh, Kanepa Cars and Coffee a few years ago when the Warriors were about to win the championship. And uh, what's his name? The Peter owner? Goober, the Peter owner, Goober, part drove, owner of the yeah, drove up in a F one. F one. Oh wow! And yeah. uh, and then when he was taking off, he like ground first gear or second gear or something. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I remember it's a driver's it. car. Yeah, it was cool though. He just rolls up. It was kind of dirty. Yeah, yeah. And he parked it right next to my nine nine three. Remember that photo yeah. I posted? That was cool. I forgot about that. Yeah, he was attracted to my car. You know, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was not. It was the last spot available. Yeah. yeah. That's the neat thing about, I think, you know, the car culture. When it gets at its purest form, it really is, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's mm-hmm. F1, the sport, the car, the 993, the 67 bug I got, you know, like when I was a kid, like all that stuff is just like, you know, it's just, man, like, what's your experience of it? What do you like about it? Yeah. You know, you know, do you drive it? That's like a really important question. You're right? talking like, to the right guys right you, now. Do you drive it? <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And, I guess in the F1 world, it's like, yeah, you know, like no one drives an F1 car to work. Yeah, <laughs> right. you know, no one parks is a good F1 one. Car. I like, I like that. And I mean, and it's hard. Like we just from talking about cars, right? Just like as a journalist, you know, people they want to know your opinion. They want to know what you think about all the things, right? Like it's like, how does it drive? What does it do? This, 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 and this. And it's like everybody has their own experience with a car, and it's like really trying to figure out like. You tell a story, you say, you can talk about all of the different objective things, but it's like, what are you seeking out, right? And so you try to give them all the data so that they can figure out if that applies, right? But so it's like, but we are all about driving our cars, so we're going to focus on the driving aspects. And so we try to like tap into the practicality or whatever it may be. Like, like Jason Camis is a good friend and he's all about like, he'll criticize the shit out of a car if it doesn't do X, X and X. But it's like, like I've got into it with a, with I three, for example, a BMW I three is a phenomenal city car. Like I, I, I really enjoyed it as that, you know? And like he goes on and he'll talk on and on about how it's a terrible car and it's overpriced and all that. And it's like, none of that shit matters because I want a car that has extremely quick steering that my wife can drive. That's easy to park. That has good visibility that it, you know, XXX and all of those things are relevant. So that's important. Right. So like you figure out like what's important to you and then you make those decisions. Right. It's like, there's a huge subjective component to a lot of this stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, but it's about 
given those constraints, like what are some of the creative ways cars, different cars, solve those issues? Yeah. Is it a that's light spot? Is it a easy to park? Is it long? Is it wide? Is it fast? That's why when people ask you, what car should I get? You're like, well, what do you want? Yeah. Like, what are you looking for? It's the worst. Information. Like, you don't, I don't know you. I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly what you want in the car, but that's cool. You have an S2000. That's a very F1 type car, right? High revving. It kind of is. It kind of is, right? It's like the most F1 you can get in a street car. Yeah, in a street car. It doesn't try to be anything that it's not. And I, the looks have held up. I have to say, the looks of that car. Yeah, they're great. Mm -hmm. Definitely the styling is held up. I mean, the early ones that had like, monochromatic interiors were a little crazy, but the AP2s have held up, I think, looks-wise. And, um, you know, I just drove a 356B on uh, over the weekend. That was your parents? And it's, uh, yeah, it's my dad's car. And uh, I got to tell you, man, it's like Roadster. It's like there's a common language. It's like it's a Roadster. It's like, you know, and it was so neat. Like, I just drove it. So here's a story. So... <laughs> The S2000 and the 356P met. Uh, Hopefully um, not bumper to bumper. No, no. This is uh, (laughs) a couple of weeks ago. My folks are up in Sonoma County and in the Kincaid fire. Mm. I went up the night they closed the hospital that was nearest them. Mm. And that morning we got the evac from Sonoma County Sheriff, bullhorn, lights blaring, power out, winds howling. And it was like time to go. And (laughs) it was like, what do we take? And they had a Prius, an SUV, and the, I'm like, well, what do you, I think I should take the 356. I mean, you should right? burn the Prius immediately yeah. before the fire. Yeah. Like, like, you like, oh, you, you, you try to direct the fire, <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, you, yeah. you, you, you sacrifice burns or whatever. You were like, I, I like the car. They have the, they have the eight, nay, 18, I think. It doesn't have the CarPlay, which, oh man, the integration on that car is crap, but the car itself is like, it's does, a good appliance. It's a, it's it's a, a great, great appliance. appliance. Yeah. 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 So had to take that for them, had to take the SUV for them. And then it was the S2000 or the 356. And I was like, I got to leave the S2000. You can replace the S2000. I got to take the 356. Yeah. So there it sat. I came back. I came back after the USGP. That was like the week before the USGP. I left for Tuesday. God. Man, I needed to change the scenery after that drama. Yeah. My folks went up to my brother's place up in Tahoe. And then uh, I had the 356. Sitting in the garage in San Francisco, and uh, and the S two thousand, I didn't know. I didn't even know if the house was there. You know, so it was just like so sketchy. So I came back. I finally saw the S two thousand last week. It was just covered in ash. Like it was just like it's still there. It's not too smoky. Yeah, know? but it was like, oh man, like that was that was. I had to decide. Yeah, that's, like, I was like, that yeah. sucks. Yeah. You had to make Sophie's choice, right? And yeah, it was, you did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a good choice. I, I mean, we yeah. we all approve of that. I mean, definitely. You so, what did buy you buy an S two thousand tomorrow? What did you drive down here today? I had the S two thousand. Oh, okay, cool. I so what I did, I just picked up the car, the S two thousand, this week, and I vacuumed the cloth, so that survived. But the car is still covered. In oh, so ash. it's cl- black cloth inserts with red leather. Is that or are you talking? No, cloth, he's talking about sorry, the top. Cloth, the roof. Oh, the top. Yeah. Oh shit. Oh, the yeah, top yeah. was like, like what? Yeah, it just <laughs> all stuck to it. Oh, oh man, there were like, there were like pieces of like fire ash. Like yeah. Vacuum out between well, go the, see, uh, the railing. Go and see the, our friends at AutoWorks Detailing <laughs> down in Foster City or wherever he is. And, uh, <laughs> Where he is? He's mobile. Yeah. He'll AutoWorks City Detailing. Yeah. Um. 
God, that, that is crazy. I'm glad the SD1000 survived. Yeah. I'm sorry the Prius did, but... Uh, no, <laughs> well, good. thanks to Prius for sacrificing its <laughs> yes. life, and it, it diverted the flames, and uh, yeah. now uh, you know it all worked out. Uh, I'm curious if there's anyone in F1 that you haven't been able to get, you know, you haven't talked to that you want to, someone that you're, like, eager to uh, maybe cover or interview. Is there anyone like that now, or are you too close to it to have any, like, real stars? Well, I tell you... Um, <clears throat> maybe two years ago before Tom Clarkson started, um, you know, his beyond the grid, I pretty much everyone he talks to, you know, I, I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, absolutely. I would, the next person that he talks to is probably the next person I wish I could have interviewed. I mean, I think so much of what he does and how he uses the medium yeah. to just really dis it's not disarm, but it's a very relaxed approach. It's very conversational. He's a great interviewer. And he is a great, he's yeah. a great listener and he really, uh, engages his, you know, his, uh, you know, who he's talking to and he's so, you know, well versed in like their histories and the relevance. And he can, he's so good at sort of guiding a conversation, um, Mm-hmm. For, the, for the audience's benefit, really. Yeah. I, think he I like that he's also good. not afraid to ask. I mean, not, I don't want to say abrasive, but he'll ask some questions that to probe a little bit mm. just to kind of see. But he sounds so nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, eh. yeah. And, but I mean, it's great. It's, he's a very good interviewer. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 I mean, I, we, we obviously we, we were podcasters and, uh, especially in this space, like we, we want to consume it all, you know, and there's like every, every time that, he, that something's fresh out from him. Like we want to listen to it, but then it's like, can you interview more people? You know, give us more content. You yeah, know? yeah. He's, he's rad for sure. We were like him. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny, you know, I, I definitely, I talked to so many different people. Um, there's so many sort of, I would say industries that are sort of satellite to formula one, whether it's, um, logistics or, uh, like hospitality or, um, circuit management or, um, uh, sort of event promotion or, um, we need to meet uh, those event promotion people. Like all those, <laughs> Let's probe their brain. Yeah. So yeah. all, like all those different pieces, I, I mean, I'm so hungry to learn more. You know, every time I go to a race, I'm so, I'm just grateful that I find someone new that I can learn like a new, a, a new, um, view of the sport. And yeah. Article I'm writing currently is um, based on an interview with uh, Steve Smith, who's the head of onboards at Formula One. Here's a guy who Onboard came, footage, you mean? Onboard cameras. Oh, yeah. so okay. I actually got introduced to him through the Sonoma Speed Festival. We were trying, oh, well. we were trying to put onboard cameras on the car, yeah. and one of the routes we were interested in going through was using the existing onboard cameras that are at the top of the T that mm-hmm. you see above the airbox. And... Um, he got tangentially, I, I didn't know who he was, but he got looped in through a conversation I had with Ellie Norman at marketing at F1. And he was able to point me and the whole festival, like in perfect order with the right direction to go. But I was so curious to, to meet him after I was sort of introduced to him by email. He's been, you know, started with, you know, rebuilding like series A motors for, um, for Austin's and mini Cooper's in, in his native England in the eighties as sort of like a side job while he's working in British aerospace industry to getting invited to support races to, for F1 to build motors for, for teams that are running the motors that he built to then finally getting introduction to F1 and then 
finally working for Brabham and starting there oh, in like 86. So he's totally come up through the ranks and really is, he's the onboard guy. Um, but such an interesting position because not a lot of people think about, you know, how much the onboard footage involves a lot of the cars that are on the grid. So you don't think about, wow, you know, like they share a common power source, for example. You know, if a team is having an issue with their car, one of the people that might find out about it are the people who are sharing the same power source that aren't running the car, but are running the cameras on the car. So mm-hmm. he's in a very interesting position to be so embedded with all of the teams yeah. because they all have cameras on the car. Um, and so just, you know, getting to know him and his story, um, you know, just someone I've never, uh, you know, never heard anybody really talk to him um, before. And uh, yeah, just fascinating that's cool that's cool inside baseball kind of sure that's great yeah it's it's probably more interesting than i mean definitely more interesting than like interviewing lewis hamilton there's only so many of those interviews right that you can listen to or or do yeah and and you know every their story essentially but you don't know this guy's story and 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 he's he's, and he's probably talked to everyone and dealt with every driver over the last like 30 years and or, or whatever or, or everyone from the engineering side yeah yeah, or yeah chassis or just like yeah. more deep stuff yeah his stories are gone forever i'm sure absolutely i mean and he you know i kind of go into sort of his early days and then how we got into on board and so i'll, I'll be i'll definitely share it with you is guys. he british or i missed yep. it okay yeah 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 no he's um, british yeah but yeah, yeah, he, he, you know, he's the kind of person that I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to talk to. So mm-hmm. yeah, I go to credit media. Boy, if I can find someone like that, it's a gold mine to For me. For sure. Yeah. Just because it's, it's interesting to me. And I, I feel it's something that hasn't been told before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's more, in, you can get more in depth, right? Like, yeah. 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 And I mean, when I talk to drivers, I, I tend to be a little bit more like, so like Charles Leclerc. I mean, I, I would have liked to have asked Charles Leclerc this. Like, so when you found out, you know, that uh, your teammate's right rear suspension failed on lap eight of the USGP, what did that do for your confidence in your yeah. car? You know? Yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're driving the same track, you know, and you're using the same, same parts. Car, yeah. It's like, could that have been your right rear suspension that it failed? And, you know, could it have ended up with you on the wall? You know, I mean, there's a million different places, you know, to me that I, I feel like it's, you know, you can you can explore more and try and understand more about what um, what's happening at that moment for for people. And I, I get that you know Formula One has its you know it has to fulfill a a basic you know parameter you know in terms of you know what's covered and what's talked about. But I mean, these are human beings here. You know, it's like what? <laughs> how would you feel if you had to you know for sure you know go up, jump on a high wire that someone else just got blown off of it's like the, well, the wind's that different or yeah, am I right. better or right. <laughs> yeah for yeah. sure yeah. I mean that that was a big question I remember when I mean with Senna's fatal crash right like I mean you you had <clears throat> you had his teammate there in the same car essentially and you know there were talks of the steering column stuff and I mean other or was it the steering you know it was a mystery right no one knew and so like that was a big deal really like it, it that exact question but then you hear like like Tom Clark and Clarkson on today's interview with Mika Hakkinen, he asked him like, how did that affect you? Senna dying and, you know, and all this. And he goes, Oh, didn't, you know, like, yeah, it's sad and everything, but I knew, I know the risks. And yeah, I went out the next day and went as hard as I could. So that, and even yeah. him crashing and, you know, not racing for a while, Hackett, and then he comes back and he's like, 
were you worried? Were you scared you weren't going to have it? He's like, no, I was just so, like going to go full out. And that's part of the personality thing. And that's really getting. That's into why the they're that elite athlete, right? That can very so so. Yeah. Um, a while back, I met. Um, uh, he's I don't know what his role is now, but he was the VP of global marketing for Michelin, and uh, he used to work at Larousse back in the early nineties, and uh, he was at that race at Imola in ninety four. <laughs> Uh, and he was, uh, part of the team management for LaRousse and, uh, he was working really closely with Eric Comas and the exact opposite situation happened with Comas. He's like, after that, like, cause it was first, it was Ratzenberger, right? And then it was, then it was Senna. Yep. And then at the start of the race, there was that big crash, which, you know, someone, there was a fatal yep. injury in the audience or in the spectators. It, it was, it was just a really terrible weekend. And, and Comas broke down. He actually didn't want to drive. He's like, you know what? I can't handle this anymore. Like after the Santa thing happened, he's like, I just don't want to go out there. And like everyone's like, well, you have to. And he actually said, I can't do this. And he just broke down, like fully mentally broke down. So, I mean, and these are stories that, you know, you don't, for the most part, you don't hear. But I think, yeah, a lot, the norm for the most part is, you know, from the human side of it, which is hard to really understand is a lot of these guys are so passionate and so driven that you, they have like almost like this numbness, right? It's like they have a goal, they have a role, this is their job, they're going to do it. Like I remember even when Jackie Stewart drove, um, that same, when he retired that same Grand Prix, when, uh, Francois Sever died, he actually drove and he won and he went out there and like, he, he said he was crying before he got into his car. The visor went down, fully focused. As soon as he stepped out of the car, he was a total wreck. But when he was in the zone, he like, everything else doesn't matter, right? It's, it's an interesting thing. Um, and I mean, it's kind of hard to relate to, but you can see how that can be the case, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a definite set of wiring that, <clears throat> you know, I, I got, I've kind of of the opinion that sort of like, Probably Formula One drivers and serial killers share that yeah. ability to just yeah. absolutely detach from what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously a huge world apart, but you know, in F1, you just have this and any racing driver, you know, who's, who's at a very high level is, is certainly, uh, conditioned over time to, to really kind of keep an emotional, uh, response out of things and for their own safety. I mean, reacting emotionally, you know, yeah. even when you're driving a road car is, you know, yeah. is, is not a good idea. So just that ability to, to really, to see to it, shut to it, recognize shut it. it off, yeah. yeah. Did you see, uh, the documentary free solo? It's the, uh, the yeah, climber, the climbing, that climbed El Capitan it? without Alex ropes. Honnold? Yeah, it sounds right. I saw it on a plane, so I wasn't uh, fully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Were, were there snakes on the plane? Uh, no, it no. was a movie on a plane, but, um, he reminded me quite a bit of that yeah. ability to really disconnect from the and so they had that danger right there. They had that brain scan they did and they, they basically put all the electrodes on and they can see the brain waves, you know, what activity is happening. And then they would show them like really scary things or, you know, different, uh, kind of shocking footage. And he had like zero reaction to the scary stuff. It was like his brain just didn't. And then they showed a regular, you know, quote unquote regular. And it's like, you know, electrodes are, uh, you know, there's synapse yeah. firing yeah. activity. It's, and uh, it's got to be the same thing, though, for those guys. right? Yeah, it's probably it's, even the same with like, you know, any elite athlete in any sport where they can kind of put aside like all the how tired you feel, how beat up you feel, and still push forward yelling at you or, you know, you a know. marathon runner or whatever. And you know, that's, and just pushing through and past that point where you're like, I don't feel good right now. Like I, I feel like I'm going to die. That's kind of like us tonight. 
That's I how know. I feel. Yeah, we're basically yeah. I mean, we're pushing doing, through. We're just making it happen. We're, we're really pushing through right now. Yeah, yeah. We're, in our, we're, in, we're in the zone. Elite podcast yeah. athletes. Yeah. Oh, man. You guys are elite podcast <laughs> I would give you that. <laughs> I, I was, you, were, you were talking about the schedule on the Thursday's show. You were talking about, you know, moving. It was going to maybe go to 25 races a year. And um, I was going to relate it to the fact we did like three Radwoods in one month and we had oh. to travel. And I was so burnt after that, like right. so burnt out. But imagine like, imagine if those events were like an F1 event is all week, essentially. Dude, yeah. so and much. I mean, imagine me and the driver, you're, you're practice, or you're doing intermediate interviews, you're doing all this stuff, like yeah. all those things. And then you're, and then you're taking a longer flight than we did you know, to Europe from the United States or whatever you're doing, you know, and then you have those back to back weeks and you got a language. Yeah. Oh yeah. Language barrier. You can't, you get sick. Oh man. I mean, there's about 200 people who got sick in Mexico city. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, Gasly was like, (laughs) Gasly was like deadly sick when he was really, they hit up that taco card at midnight, huh? I heard a lot of different, I heard a taco card and then I heard unwashed produce was the other. Oh, that's, and that's the classic. That's an other than like water. That, that's the classic. Yeah. yeah, lettuce or whatever. Yeah, or anything that touches water. Like yeah, like if you go to India, you only do peel fruit. You don't touch. You know, like apples or anything you bite into for that same reason. Yeah, too hmm. much of a risk. Yeah. Um, I, and and I remember this was shocking to me. Uh, I guess I wasn't acclimated, but I was at a bar in Mumbai, and they had a communal bowl of it was like peanuts with chopped onions and cilantro in it. Just full on, just bare hands in there, passing it around the bar. I'm like, I yeah, am but- not going to do that. <laughs> and that's so why Art's still oh, here today. Totally reminds me of that scene, Bad Dates. It's crazy. And, you- but they're probably all acclimated to it. It's yeah, like totally sure. fine. It's kind of yeah, like- yeah, totally. And and they're like, t- full, just totally chill, like ha- handing them over to me. Like, hey, dig it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I just pass it on. <laughs> Yeah, there might have even been like chopped tomatoes in there, and it's like so just gross. all wet, you know. Just Ooh. imagine it's like, Ooh. yeah, it's a salad they're using their hands with. Yeah, and, but you know, there's a lot of unknowns at every race, and you know, Vietnam will have its own set of unknowns. Yeah. And I can't you know, believe it. I didn't hear. I didn't know about Vietnam, dude. Yeah, dude. Hanoi. If you look at the, just look like at the being construction there, happening, and yeah, stuff. like being in, the, like I've been in that exact place, like where the Turtle Tower, uh, like things in the lake, like. I, I was shocked to learn that they were doing it there. It's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, like in terms of like some relatable yeah. thing, like where they would be racing, but San Jose. Um, I guess they're just going from scratch, you know? <laughs> it's like San Jose. No, yeah. Like, no, like, no. like if San Jose was Pajaro, but like after the flood, like, you yeah. know, like, something can, we, like that. can we get a California F1 race? I mean, where can we do this? So they California. used to do Long Beach, right? Long Beach was the F1. Yeah. Why can't we use a Sonoma or Laguna Seca? What's the deal? Well, Laguna doesn't the, have a... the pieces that fit into place commercially around the race, I think have to be, have to make sense. And, yeah. um, I think for, you know, there's re- different reasons why a Vietnam, you know, Vietnam wants a race versus, you know, Formula One wants to put a Miami, a race in Miami. Um, that said, um, you know, I did see, I did witness one 50C heat race, 50CC heat race in, um, Oh, okay. Outside I thought you were going to say 50 Celsius. I'm like, holy no, shit. Right. Were you in Abu Dhabi or something? No, it was just like two strokes. Guys go running around a running track on the, the gravel part of the running track with like helmets yeah. and jeans and flip flops. You know, I mean, it was uh. not, but it was, but the grandstands were mobbed. 
I mean, hmm. just where was that in Vietnam? In Vietnam, yeah, wow. young, very young audience. Like, I have no doubt that that Formula One race is going to be. It's going to be a crazy wow. spectacle. Yeah, I mean, half that country's under thirty. Yeah, I'm sure. And I mean, it's really, just like really, you're saying, it's, it's yeah. the marketing aspect, right? They're trying to attract eyeballs to the country. Like Vietnam is, is, is with it. It's, 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 it's like a growing know, consumer economy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Production. Is in, now is it nine, nine of 10 of the largest, you know, consumer economies, yeah. everyone but India, you know, so. Right. And a lot know, of the U.S. is at the top. A lot of manufacturing is moving there too. From Shenzhen, they're moving it to Vietnam. I was reading recently but, too. So. But I mean, I'm sure if F1 went to Sonoma, they would sell as many tickets as they want to sell, right? If they put money into like making that an F1 track. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, California is the seventh biggest economy in the world, or sixth. And, and I mean, and, and uh, Peter uh, Habicht uh, runs the Formula One club locally. I mean, but like you know, Peter like was saying, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of other like uh, attractions in our area, right? So it's uh, yeah, but they're already looking at another U.S. race. I'm saying, why not? Yeah. Like why can't, so what, why wouldn't, why is, how would California, I guess the question I mean, is, you, why is Miami more appealing than anywhere else? Like, well, one, it's a street race. And I think part of what Formula One wants to do is bring the race to the people. So that is, I think uh, what you're going to see is yeah. the next race will be a street race. Good luck getting to the area across that bridge um, in Miami. You know, the, the interesting question <laughs> to me there. is, you know, post, you know, Penske indie buyout, you know, he owns IMS is like, you know, would would Formula One go back to IMS? Mm. I don't know. You know, it might. I mean, um, I think there are probably some other other areas that they might consider before that. Detroit again, possibly <laughs> could be yeah. cool. Possibly Detroit, like re if you had rejuvenating. They had all the car makers are there. You know, it's like, you had yeah. a city that was really motivated. You know, like a Las Vegas to really like energize an area or an yeah. economy. Or, I mean, everyone knows where Las Vegas is, but if you had a, a, a city that wasn't as well-known, like, say, Sacramento, or mm -hmm. something that wanted to really establish itself like Austin did yeah. uh, on a global stage, um, you know, there's yeah. there could be, you know, some... And it's, it's a fight of sort of political will, you know, economy, capital, other, you know, opportunities, um, you know, and, you know, NBA, NHL, yeah, you know, yeah, it's whoever wants it the NFL, most. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, it's a whole, there's a whole sort of sea of things that, and California is probably the hardest place to do business for like that, right? Like, yeah, you know, it's to get stuff works. done, basically. Yeah, where Texas, they're like, oh, do everything on a handshake, and yeah, right. and we're good. Nevada, you know? same thing, right? Yeah, Nevada's probably pretty easy. Guns from the F1 car. Um, although, although when I think about Vegas. Like, I just think about that scene in that Sylvester Stallone movie, Drive, oh. where they're in the, and they're like driving in the manholes, go yeah, flying yeah, up, dude. and the girl's yeah, skirts yeah. and stuff. And I'm like, that if I picture that whole scene, just you know, a really bad movie, basically. <laughs> you know, that was supposed to be about F1. Yeah, they like, wrote that about like for F1, and movie. F1 was like, nah, we're good. Bernie didn't quite. Yeah, yeah Bernie yeah, didn't yeah, see. Yeah. Bernie didn't. I think what wasn't it even supposed to be about Santa originally? Like I thought I read that. Was it on. that old? I don't think it's. I mean, the movie's not that old. Yeah, driven. Yeah, the movie's not that old. The movie was written. Yeah, that long ago? Uh, I can't remember. It was definitely. You know, I mean, Frank Williams was kind of nodded to in that, but um, I don't know. I think as far as a California race, I think the future of Formula One is definitely something that is coming 
you know, it, there's a question of what, what is F1, you know, as we go to a greener, you know, economy and a green formula E is coming up. Yeah. Formula E is coming up. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not F1, maybe it's formula E, which by the way, is a great beachhead for formula one to learn from. And I haven't to watched get any of it. I need to check so they, they it's about to start. I was going to say, cause like Lane was like really, really happy. He was very proud of himself cause he watched every race. <laughs> so proud. So I was going to like propose something for the crew here. Like maybe we should try to watch every formula. You where is this here? Where do you watch it? Where do you watch it? I don't know. <laughs> I just know that it's coming up soon. Yeah. How it's do you like, watch it? It's starting it? like is on it, the 20th, right? Is it on Reddit or it's something? It's on just, or? TikTok <laughs> discovery. <laughs> it's on Pluto. TikTok.com. <laughs> but it's, but the chassis, <laughs> but for a California race, exactly. For a California race, I think the Valley is producing some of the most road relevant technology around. You know? Oh yeah. So, oh totally. Oh yeah, yeah. Fresno, yeah. right? Is that what you're about? <laughs> yeah. You do Moffett no, Field. We do Moffett Field Formula Dude, E race. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, why not? I mean, yeah. I, you know, if you could. You could see, that's the thing. Like, imagine Apple sponsoring a car would be so rad, but like Apple doesn't need that. That's the whole thing. It's like yeah. a lot of the companies that do this, they need that. You know, they need that publicity, this kind of marketing. Yeah, it's the values in the the exposure on the planet. Exactly. And like a a lot of the companies over in the Valley don't need. Some of the up and comers, maybe. I mean, that's the thing. You would, you got to, you'd have to look at that. Yeah, Huli. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) But some we don't even know about. Yeah. I know. Zooks. By the way, actually, uh, I just started thinking VCs right now. Like, what happened with uh, USGP? Why did that fail? Or US Grand Prix is what they originally called it, right? USF1? USF1. So, the impression that I get from the people I know who work there is that I think folks' hands were basically tied. There was either an unwillingness to allow people to execute or an inability to form a group strategy to execute. And I, I don't mm. know which it is. Um, but it seems like they got enough funding or backing to do it. I don't know all the financials. Oh. Um, I, you know, I think that there were, there were wildly contrasting ideas of how to put the car together to build the team around, mm. you know, around the idea. And, uh, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a footnote. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's formula one. It's like, it's ancient history now. Um, mm. I don't, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, Haas should have done anything differently than it did to build an, an American mm. based effort. Yeah. Um, you know, it technically UK factory, but headquartered in, in North Carolina, but, um, I mean, I, I think that, uh, um, you know, you have to, you have to acknowledge where a lot of the expertise and the talent and the, the industry is based, you know, and it's, it's going to be over and, you know, it's going to be in, in the UK. I mean, that's really where a lot of the, you know, the suppliers, the logistically formula one needs to be centralized in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's only, it's only Sauber or I mean, not Sauber anymore, but, um, they're Alfa Romeo's in Switzerland. And then just Italy, right? I mean, for uh, what's it called? Oh no, Toro Rosso's in Italy too, right? I was thinking Ferrari yeah, is in Italy, obviously. Fienza but and yeah, what's Toro Rosso going to be called next year? I don't remember. Alpha Tori. Alpha, yeah, with a PH, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah two alphas. That's so there's gonna be two alphas. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. cool. Interesting. Well, I mean, if that's what it takes to keep Matashits involved, then I think that's good. Yeah. he needs to 
you know, continue getting value out of the sport and, and, uh, and, you know, yeah. we need the team on the grid. Yeah. Dude, he really, really did extremely well by, uh, carbonating that liquid, huh? <laughs> that syrup. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. Yeah. I could have had one of those, but I had a coffee. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I actually met the original family that has the uh, the original Red Bull, whatever it's called in Thailand, like the syrup. Yeah. Um, at the Singapore Grand Prix, I was at a party and they were there, and uh, I, I'm, I guess they still get royalties. You know, they're wearing Red Bull costumes. They're wearing some kind of co- yeah. They're uh, <laughs> but it's I mean, do you guys know the story behind that? It's just like like this dude was just like it wasn't he just like backpacking through Thailand and he actually tried it. It's like a syrup in a little bottle. And he's like, maybe what if we add an energy thing? Yeah. yeah, and then it be that was what Red Bull is. Hmm. So it's actually based on a Thai energy drink. Interesting, just like a little thing. Yeah, and of course, a lot of heavy marketing. And as so, I actually know one of the the first like big marketing guys there at Red Bull, and he used to say, like, you know, we're talking about marketing the product that that I worked for. Uh, it was, you know, if I fucking sold sugar water, carbonated sugar water, you know, like we could definitely do this. You know, that was like a motivational thing that he would always say because it was like... I could sell that crap. Yeah, yeah. Like it was literally not about the product at all. Yeah, but... but but Every, every company that sells carbonated sugar water is huge. So. For sure, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> it might be the get, easiest thing to sell. the experience around the product, right? Yeah, I mean, the lifestyle, the, races, the, yeah, the, the perception. Yeah, and, flutog. Yeah, and it All gives you wings. Stuff, yeah. It gives you wings. Extreme yeah. performance. Um, my, uh, I'm going through a home remodel right now, and the guy's doing our kitchen. Uh, this morning rolls in. I actually, I was, I was going to take a picture to send you guys, but it was going to be too obvious. Rolls in, 8.30 a.m., Red Bull and Ugh. donuts. Yep. Breakfast. I knew I knew people who did that. Uh, monster, a monster Chicken, energy, the man. big talk. Monster can. energy for breakfast. I don't talk know. I don't think I've ever had a monster or a Red Bull. Really? Yeah. Ever? Mm-hmm. I've had a sip. Rockstar. I'm this close to having a sip of rich energy, but I, I didn't. Oh, oh I would have oh. totally drank that. Close Why? Why? Why did you? Oh do man! I took the can home and everything. Do you remember you were talking about those peanuts and tomatoes in India? <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. He's not. He's not ready for that. <laughs> so like crazy biohazard. Yeah. He, close. Yeah. yeah. Right, so it, yeah, Red Bull is like my last resort. It works. It's just like, all right, like this is like I've slept three hours. I have to function. I mean, I'll do it. It works. Uh, How are you on five hour energy? I've had one of those. I've had them too. And the first time I ever tried it, I did not know that you were supposed not supposed to drink the whole thing. Yeah, you are. It was a terrible idea for me. Uh, it was like I was super jittery and I didn't feel it. I couldn't function. And then I tried half of one and that worked for me. Yeah. The yeah. guy who I think he's, I don't know if this is still true, but he, the creator said he would drink two and then play tennis. That's cool. Whoa. He was really good. <laughs> ten hour, he was ten really hour, good. <laughs> ten hour energy is what they called it. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about your uh, little weekend getaway? I don't Taking know. pictures? What did I do? I don't know what you're doing. Where would I go? Did you take pictures of a Porsche and a Corvette? No. Yeah, I just took pictures of a Porsche and a Corvette. Okay, cool. All right. For bring a trailer. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I've uh, publicly announced this yet uh, that I have confirmed that the clutch is shot on my 924S. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. How many miles did you put on it? Between purchase and three or something shot, thirty five hundred. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so I bought it. Yeah, Peter might not know this, but I bought a car with very like pretty low mileage, original owner car, but it was on the original clutch. And I don't know if you're familiar with transactional. Well, in particular, nine forty fours, which is essentially this is this thing. Uh, they are 
very costly, uh, very expensive to repair when the clutch goes out because it's a transaxle car that has a torque tube and you basically have to disassemble everything and clutch is out the engine. Yeah, it's a really and big the, deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I just confirmed that the clutch is out and it's the clutch material is probably fine. It's just they have this rubber damper in the middle. The gibo or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, that, like that, but yeah. it's on the clutch. Yeah. yeah. Instead of the springs, you have rubber to make it smooth. And yeah. that's just original to the car. Right? That's yeah. original. And it like tears. Ancient, yeah. Like, and so Lane just tagged and... me on one, I think, earlier today. Yeah, Bobby Reed, <laughs> like, a oh, listener God. of the podcast, is Another doing one. it right yeah. now. Oh, he's the guy who's doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, we, uh, yeah, he was up in uh, he's up in PNW. So uh, I'm taking it to a guy who specializes in these, basically in these cars, owns a 944, uh, and he's quoting me 12 hours. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's obviously a lot longer than that. So uh, somebody who knows exactly what to do and is probably very methodical and can get through the process fairly quickly is quoting 12 hours. So not cheap. <laughs> That's commitment. Like, so when you when you commit that hard to a car, are you thinking... Ride or die, like this. Well, for, this especially the end. Or, no, that's yeah, only my wife. never ride or, or die. die. Is only my wife. That's a great question because this guy is so uh, flippant when it comes to car ownership. He's like revolving door for different cars, so it is a little bit of a. It's a big commitment. Interesting, man. yeah. Proposition. I mean, the other, the only other option is you sell it as is, which yeah. is like you just. Which he did a hit. He kind of almost do the same. Or did pretty well on the purchase, so he's fine. Yeah, but uh, he would probably be in the same position if he sold it now or fixed it and sold it. Right, and so it's in. And right now, what it's really all about is that I have not had a chance to experience the car with like fresh suspension, which I just got, and like a bunch of little updates that I want to do. And most importantly, I haven't got to take it on one of our rallies. So we do, you know, our our right. uh, our multi day driving events. So I definitely want to at least do one of those before I sell it. Otherwise, I feel kind of shitty. I feel like I failed at this car, you know. Um, so that's kind of my goal. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out the logistics of getting it down here. It's drivable. So it's, it's a weird system. It has like this metal, like these three metal pucks in the middle. So the rubber around it fails, but the center will still catch. It's like a safety. Yeah. So it's, they call them limp, limp, ta limp hope tabs. So like I can oh, drive it wow. here like pretty easily. Um, I actually already drove it down and back, um, maybe even twice. Uh, since this happened, but, um, yeah, so I have to bring it down here because the mechanic's down here. Uh, I drove one yeah. like that for like six months. And you said you weren't kind to it. No, so it was, <laughs> I'd like <laughs> drop the clutch and burn out. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, one thing that I learned is I actually did some research and uh, trying to find a person that works on these cars and there aren't that many like shops that will, you know, I mean, there are German shops that will service this car, but that don't specialize in these cars. And I was trying to find someone that can just pump it out, you know, and not have to figure it out and sit there and then quote me 18 or 20 hours, you know. So what, what was the inspiration for the 924 purchase? Like, what was the... That's Does a good it question. Look like yeah. a good deal, or like, it, yeah, kind of. I mean, it, well, this car in particular is a 924S, so it's kind of a rare, weird car. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it's basically a 944 underneath, but it has a narrow body, so it's lighter. It has the same amount of power as a 944, and it's just a weird kind of obscure car that that I found, and the price was right. It was good history. It was a, essentially a one owner car, cool. um, and uh, the woman took really good care of it, and uh, it was fairly local, so that's why I decided to go for it. And that was actually a, something we discussed like day one, like when we talked about it on the show. It's like, all right, I got this car. 
you know, some of the relevant stuff had been done. So like uh, timing belt service is a big one on these cars uh, as this cooling system. Both had been sorted very recently, but the clutch, which was original. And the weird thing about these cars is it's not about the clutch material. It's the it's that rubber damper in the middle that can, especially if it's an old car, you know, like even if it only had 87,000 miles or whatever, like that's irrelevant, you know, it's that will eventually break down and it was a risk, you know, and I took the risk and here we are. <laughs> so, uh, is it as complicatedly put together as a 928? Is it? No, like not necessarily. Really? I, I wouldn't say that, right? Is, is, it, is it a 928? 928 is more complicated because you have to like, Especially for the clutch, you like adjust the clutch if it's the twin twin disc clutch and stuff. I'm not even talking about the clutch, just that car oh, overall in general. Oh, no, yeah. it's way, well, no, it's way simpler. It doesn't because yes. it doesn't have all the electronics and stuff. Yeah, like that, right? yeah. I mean, these and it doesn't have a like 928 had a the rear suspension was passive passive steering. Um, 928 had crazy stuff going on, right? Like I remember the first I had a I had an 80 928 with a manual. Um, I remember I, I replaced the shocks. All the, all the shocks and struts and I didn't tighten the rear enough. Like to, I didn't torque it and I went to drive it and I would press the gas and the rear would just kick out. It would do this weird. It was like all over the road. I'm like, what the hell is wrong? With it? Like, what did I do wrong? And I look it up and it's like all about the torque. Like, because it's basically, it was steering with the rear end yeah. because it has this passive it's rear like steering. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, but it's not like that. It's, they're pretty. Pretty yeah. simple, but yeah, it's those two things with these cars. I mean, uh, I have a 944 too, so that's how. Yeah, it's it's oh, the okay. it's the timing belt and the clutch. Yeah. These are the two things with these cars, and uh, luckily one of them had been sorted because it's a unique, you know, it's a different system. That the the service intervals are shorter for the timing belt relative to other cars, and they have just like a balance shaft system that you know I guess requires additional care. I don't know, and then there are also um, uh, systems that require. Um, a retensioning process, uh, like within, uh, you know, a few thousand miles of driving it. So, but outside of that, it's like, it, yeah. it's a Bishi balance. 2000, man, you got to get an S2000. That car is so simple. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. Few, there's a few little things to Achilles heels on those cars that people look out for, but not a lot, right? I've had the, I've had the, the popping out of gear yeah. issue. Um, definitely had that. Uh, what was the problem there? It is a technical service bulletin on it. It doesn't, there's a, Problem with the transmission. So you to replace the transmission? It pops out of second gear? Hmm. No, I just live with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I just do a real crisp shift. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's a little tricky getting into second gear. Hmm. Um, That's weird. And I uh, early uh, E36s has had that know. problem. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, <laughs> going from one of the slickest, nicest shifting transmissions to the 356 was that an experience totally was yeah um that's you know way more vague and you know longer throw um just reaching so far forward yeah um sitting up a little higher in the car uh oh yeah six it, four again how's that the speedster seats are pretty low so though, right? low yeah they're, yeah they're pretty low i uh, just the winch the wind frame is just at about my eye height so i do look a little bit underneath oh. um <laughs> In that car, uh, not any, not much more than I would with the S two thousand, but um, but it's fun. It's it's really it was one of the weirdest things was getting used to just the noise coming off the rear of the car. Like that was just weird. Like I pull next to a like a, a concrete railing, you know, on like 
whatever. There's highway, nothing up front. Highway, and I'd hear this thing behind me, and I just kept thinking, "What is that? This guy is so close to me. What's going on?" Hmm. And of course, you know, it's just that's that's normal. Um, you know, has I had a little bit of a vibration at like six sixty five seventy yesterday driving it up, but um, but not too bad. You know, at you get out of the car and you look how skinny the tires are. You're like, whoa. Yeah. Drum brakes. It's like press real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, double clutch and, uh, um, you know, AM blah, punk. <laughs> and you said it's a it's a convertible D? Or what, what model is it? It's actually, oh, a B Roadster. Yeah, it's a 356B twin grill Roadster. Okay. So it's one of the, the rare yeah. ones that they made. Um, and, uh, yeah. Original owner, so that's my dad. A, oh, wow. that's, that's cool. What is what's the color combo? It's a uh, white with a red interior. Oh, nice and um, classic ivory. I guess they call it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and, even better. Uh, so it was just a sixty. You know, uh, dad bought it on Van Ness when he was in school, and oh, cool. Yeah, he just Carl Carlson just bought it and uh, and hung on to it. And then that car lived on Long Island for for most of its life, and then uh, never never saw a winter. Um, but uh, yeah, now it's back in California, and I drove it across the Golden Gate, and I thought, "Damn, man, this is the first time this car has been across the Golden Gate in probably fifty-five years." Whoa. So cool! Yeah. That's like wild. just being in the Bay Area, being in Golden Gate Park with that. Car, yeah, it's been a long time. So all these cool! Years. That's cool. Never, you know, they had the car trailered out to uh, San Francisco or to Santa Rosa. Uh huh was in the city because of the fire. And then, yeah, it just was wild. I was just cruising through San Francisco. Like, wow. That's like, a it's really wild. cool experience. That's cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, why that's he, very cool. My dad, my mom left the wedding in that car. You know? No wow. way. Wow. wow. That's awesome. So he bought it next to the Thorndike special. Do you know the reference? The Thorndike special. No. Uh, so, uh, and Herbie, the love bug. Yeah. Do you, uh, did you, did you see that movie? Uh, 700 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, just, it's really popular right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it. it's, it's, it's I don't really, know what you're talking it's, about. It's, so you it's, can, it's uh, very it's lit a, with all the kids. It's like so. it was in the dealership right lit. there, super lit. on Van Ness. So right? yeah, it's a, so um, they go to a dealership on Van Ness, and I think it's BMC Motorcars or whatever that place is called now. And they have an Apollo. Uh, it's, it's called the Apollo GT or something, or I guess in the movie it's the Thorndike Special, and it's this sports car on a rotunda thing, you know, or one of the one of these rotating platforms, I guess they call them. And uh, that's what I was saying. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, Jesus, long tail. good long tail. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, it's British motor cars. It is, oh, British motor cars. It, it's not BMC, BMC motor cars. <laughs> it's that's, like it's like, like saying nine thirty turbo. Machine. It's like you're like, like no nine thirty is a designation for turbo ATM machine, right? It's so pure though. It's so like it's just, it's absolutely basic. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, just. Pull the lights on. Yeah. Throw a little great, starter in there. Great, great car. Food and yeah, yeah, just get it running. It's a bug. I mean, basically. Yeah. You know, rearranging, but it's yeah. it's fun, you know. It was it was really funny. I saw this this guy cruising. I was doing a U turn, leaving the park to head out to the Great Highway, and this this exact same vintage E type, like rolls oh, cool. across. Mm, yeah. Nice. And I was in the middle of a U turn and so I followed him out to Great Highway. 
And he got a couple lights ahead of me, and then I caught up, and then it was like, then it was on, you know? So it was like, <laughs> yeah. It's like 1.6 versus 3.8, yeah. you know? and he was like, gone, you know? But it sounded so cool. Like, it was, that's cool. It was just totally unexpected. Dude, that, yeah, it's like it's 1963. Yeah, it really and, was. Like, and you're driving cars. through San Francisco and your yeah. new Porsche, and so rad. That's awesome. That really good. That's a cool experience. Well, is that so time? That, I think it is. Um, yeah. Let's do it. So did you say you have trivia? Oh, yeah, I have a trivia for you. Yeah, but you do the song for You can do it for both of them, aren't It's trivia, trivia time. time. Trivia time. I'll do mine first. Go for it. Okay. Um, what? Who is the only driver to win their first F1 race? To win their Wait. first F1 race. Oh. To win the first. I just heard this. Really? Yeah. Yeah. One dude has done it. I think it's someone back in the back in the day, like Fangio or something. Was it Jim Clark? Not Jim Clark. Graham Hill. I'll, Graham give, Hill? You, I'll give you a hint. I've never heard of him. Hint is good. Tatio Nuvolari? No. Can you no, give us an era? Oscari? No. Can you uh, give us an era? Era uh nineteen sixty one. And he competed and beat Dan Gurney in that car, that oh. Porsche F1 car. That's who he beat to win his first race. I should know this. I've never heard of him, and I'm not an F1 historian by any means, but I've yeah. never, uh, I had to look it up to discover this person. I don't know. Any guesses? You guessed. 61, right? It so wasn't Richie Ginther. He was the whole guy. Tricks? Yeah. I've heard of on trips. I've heard of all the guys you've mentioned. Like, it wasn't American. No, was, uh, he's from Milan. His name is Giancarlo Baghetti. Oh, Baguette. Mm. I like that. <laughs> and he drove a shark nose Ferrari. Oh, whoa. I mean, the kind of classic. So Beautiful. it says, uh, it competed in one, um, his official Grand Prix debut at Reims. Is it Reims? Reims? Reims, yeah. 61, uh, but take nothing away from the Italian who made full use of his shark-nosed Ferrari's brutish straight-line speed to outdrag Dan Gurney's Porsche and win his very first points-paying race, a feat never achieved in the top flight before or since. Giancarlo Baghetti. <laughs> baghetti. That's wild. And his family invented spaghetti. No, that's, yeah. that's not No, true. they were baguettes, and they sold them to the <laughs> oh, French. That's, that's right. Yeah. So I got an, another one that's very depressing relative to that. <laughs> Um, so sweet. So, <laughs> is it a long story? That's it's, pretty it's gonna, He's gonna make it long. It doesn't <laughs> have to be. It doesn't have to be. Uh, so in 1984, I was tail over here. Yeah. Uh, so try your hardest. I'll try really hard. He still hasn't hard. asked the question. <laughs> I know we're still waiting. <laughs> Electric cars outsold manual transmission cars in America last year. Okay. All right. So, what percentage? Oh, I thought you were going to ask. The okay. other way? No, whatever. We'll, we'll do a double. Yeah, yeah, you can do a double. You already yeah. know. You already know. What yeah, yeah, he's asking you guys. of cars sold last year were manual transmissions or had manual transmissions? Of all cars. Of all cars. And trucks. And trucks. And in trucks. In the U.S. In the U.S. Not the world. Passenger cars and trucks. Between two and three. Oh, man. I'll give you a hint. Okay. A really big hint, all right? So 1.9%... Of cars were electric, and they beat out manual transmission cars. Oh, 
<laughs> no, that's a pretty big hand. It's <laughs> the biggest hand ever. Yeah, because the, it's the other one that's the really the, the good one. So, point four. Point four. No, it's probably like one point six. Wow, that's a pretty good number. I'm gonna say one point six. What do you think, Peter? Manual yes. transmission cars. I'll go. I'll go between one and one point five. How about that? That's there you go. That's pretty good, Peter. One point one percent. <laughs> of, of, of cars sold last year were manual, and wh- how many cars was was that? Uh, that's a good question. So you can do some It'll reverse work. maths, yeah, of all some... cars. Okay. So how many cars? Because that was our question. We're like, well, what's how many cars number? were sold last yeah. year? What's the number? How many cars total were sold with a manual transmission? One point one percent of all. Well, you cars don't even sold. have that number officially. Do you, I do. Did you do the math already? I do. Oh, okay. Well, I mean. Yeah, did you do the math yet? Because uh, you're asking a question that uh, that, that we needs we, an answer that we, that we ballpark. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm gonna say, oh god, this is he's art asking trivia. it the wrong way, dude. Five hundred thousand. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna say like seventy-five thousand. Seventy-five thousand. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> and what did you say, Peter? I said less than 500,000. Are you still adding it up, Art? This is the worst trivia. Yeah, Yeah, it is. What's the total number of cars? That's what the question was supposed to be. How many cars were sold in America? And then you would know what 1.1% is. But now we have the number now. Okay. (laughs) But Peter's still thinking. No, no. No, he already said. Oh, he did? Or he said less than 500,000. Okay. 75,000. 195,000. Oh, okay. Peter won. Peter won. Peter won. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty sad. Out of 17.8 million cars sold last year total. Yeah. Only 190,000. I mean, I'm counting them. I'm counting them up right now. I think like, about 20 million souls. Civic. Was like my, that, yeah. That was my number. So it's just, we were trying, and then we were trying to get a little more granular. It's like, how many of those were sports cars and how many of those were just like yeah. a Honda? Mirage. Or, 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 or the, yeah, or the model with the most, or, the most manual sold per model is a Miata. And it, it was like almost 50%. Take rate. It's like forty six percent. That makes or manual. like BRZ FRS is probably right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was probably right there too. But that's like those are pretty low volume cars, I imagine, right? Yeah, like, they I are. don't think that takes that. That's not that big of a chunk out of that percentage, right? Yeah, out of all those cars sold, I would like to see the breakdown. Well, you know? it's still probably a big chunk. Yeah, yeah, you're right. In a year, yeah. I mean, it's still probably a good. I don't know. Who knows how many Miatas sell? Twenty thousand yeah. a year. I wonder. I would be surprised and it's like because it's all cars so it could be a lot of trucks like it could be a lot of trucks that are manuals i have no idea no uh, no definitely not but uh the moral of the story here is that the manual transmission is disappearing <laughs> news oh my god <laughs> we should start a podcast about cars yeah, yeah. <laughs> save the manuals folks the manual gearbox preservation manual. society <laughs> peter that's it that's all there is. That's a podcast. You did it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. We really appreciate Thanks you coming, coming on. It was fun. Uh, let everyone know how they can uh, follow you. Thank you. Yeah. So at F1US on Twitter, soon to be renamed. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn or, um, yeah, just hit, hit up my bio. Um, and what's your blog? It's called F1 in America. Okay. And that'll be changing to a little bit more of a sort of race platform agnostic. Um blog title to be named uh, soon oh, okay motorsports in america i think right That's it'll nice. be yeah. it'll be something that you've all heard before but cool. it's, it's it's coming so thank you mm. yeah, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you guys and get to know you all yeah it was great thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll see you guys next time bye, bye.
the Prius immediately before the fire. You try to direct the fire. Patreon.com forward slash driving while awesome. Go check us out on Patreon and please become a patron of our podcast. It helps us out a lot and you get some cool stuff in return. We give you a weekly podcast, which we title Experts in Automotive Opinion. I think we've done 60 of those so far, something like that. We also give you exclusive Patreon-only stickers, and we'll send you a sticker pack right when you join. Uh, we give discounts and early access to certain events we do, like Camping While Awesome, and we give you first crack at our rallies. Check it out. And join us on patreon.com forward slash driving while awesome. Thank you guys.